This podcast is brought to you from our friends at Tincata Protective Fabrics, Emergency Networking, MagnaGrip, and IFSTA. Welcome to Fire Service Court, whatever we call this now, with radio and video. My name is Brad Pinsky, and with me are two people you've never heard about and probably don't care about. No, with me today is the Honorable Chip Comstock and Supreme Court Justice Kurt Barone. And again, I'm Brad Pinsky, and today we're going to talk know to you. Supreme Court, that would be the Supreme, you know, like, Fire, Supreme, Supreme Court, Fire Fire Service Court of the People's Republic of Fire, Fire Engineering. Engineering. Yes. <laughs> so, hey, if we're not having fun, we're not speaking. Yeah. So um, what we want to talk to you, everyone, about today is something, you know, we always talk about lawsuits and we talk about how do you defend it and what do you do? We talk about cases, we talk about practices, but what we haven't spoken about yet, I don't think, is what do you do when you have a complaint, complaint of anything? Because um, what we see all the time is people react well or poorly to a complaint because they mess something up or they get it right. So I'm going to present a scenario. I'm going to hand it over, over that way, right? Um, to Kurt. Um, it's like the Brady Bunch over here. I'm going to hand it over to Kurt uh, and then down to Chip. We'll kind of go around in a circle or whatever way you want. Um, and we're going to talk about what happens when you get a complaint. And, and I don't mean you're handed a lawsuit. That's a different issue. Maybe we'll get to, but a complaint. So I'm going to give Different types of complaints might evoke different types of reactions. So let's start with a common one. Kurt, you are a captain in a good-sized department, right? And somebody comes to you and says, I am being sexually harassed by a lieutenant, another officer, lower officer than you, I don't want to make a complaint about it. Listen, it's no big deal. I, I don't like it. I just want you to know in case it gets worse. What do we do? All right. Um, it's so, so many aspects to this. And I, I mean, I'm coming at it from my perspective. I've been through that uh, several times. Okay. Um, and sometimes I handled it well. Sometimes I didn't handle it well. Uh, learned a lot when I didn't handle it well. Um, but um, the what on several different levels okay um on an individual level that individual captain let's kind of start there uh he or she is going to be possibly in a conflicted position because they don't want to see someone that they care about being that lieutenant uh get themselves in trouble and uh it's their decision that now is going to prompt a big investigation so you got kind of that one pressure you have the concern about your employee who feels like they're being harassed. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. Maybe um, there's a misunderstanding. Um, maybe the person who's complaining has brought it on themselves. So all of those things are kind of going around in the, in the captain's mind. Um, and so now if we take it up a level, that's why it's so important that a department have a policy on this that's going to dictate what a captain in this situation has to do. And again, from my experience, um, when the word harassment is used, there is no discretion. When someone says, I am being harassed, there is no discretion. Now, if somebody said, oh, he's bothering me, or somebody says, oh, he makes me feel uncomfortable, there's maybe a little bit of opportunity at least once, you know, to, to try to 
you know, figure out what's going on at the company level. Once the word harassed is used, or once I feel as an officer that that person is being harassed, it has to be reported. There, there's no, there should be no question. Now, how do we get to that point where everyone uh, has the scars that I have and understands the importance of doing it that way, including the fire chief is going to sit down now and put this into a policy and training for our officers? I That I don't know. But um, it is important. There, there can't be things off the record. When you're an officer, um, anything that you want to handle off the record or you're not going to report it formally um, can potentially end your career. Um, and you've got to recognize that, that there, there really can't be off the record. Um, you can't give somebody that kind of an assurance that you're not going to pass it along. So bottom line is I get that complaint about somebody being sexually harassed. Even if they ask me not to forward it uh, on, it has to be reported. And I don't care if the accused is my brother or um, my firefighter brother or my sibling brother, um, when I get a complaint about someone being harassed, it has to be. Now, if it's less than that, many departments will allow somebody one opportunity at the company level uh, to try to resolve some sort of an interpersonal dispute. And I think that's fine, as long as we're not to the level of harassment or or worse, you know, certainly criminal uh, conduct or, or something of that nature. But once someone has um, uh, had that one opportunity, you give that captain one opportunity, speak to the lieutenant, see if you can get it to resolve, maybe bring them together and all that. Uh, and then you, you have that one opportunity. If it happens again, it has to be reported. That, that's how I would approach it. So lesson one, there is no secrecy. There is no, well, please don't do anything about this when it, when it rises to the level of harassment. You, you, you do that at your own peril if you choose to do it. And uh, honestly, there's times when I've done it, okay? But I understand, I go in eyes wide open, I'm doing that at my own peril. At some point, my boss is going to say, you should have reported this. This was not within your discretion to handle at your level or so. Chip, I, I want to totally change. We're going to get to the how do we investigate in a moment, right? right? And who does the investigation, thing. et cetera. Let me, but, let, me add, let me add one thing, Brad, and that is, yeah. you know, what what raises the, the difficulty right from the beginning is somebody coming to you and saying, and, and this is my only comment to the last scenario, I agree with, with Kurt, is I've been harassed, but if you they didn't want something done or somebody, you know, they, they weren't looking for something, they wouldn't have come to us the, the, the supervisor of a captain to begin with. So I'm telling you this, yes, and I know it says, well, okay, something gets worse, but they, they, they've already told us there's a problem. So I, I, you know, again, you, you, whether you pass it on or like you said, at, at your risk, try to resolve it. I think you, I think the, the last thing you'd have to do is say, okay, thank you very much. And just go on, you know, and, and do nothing, you know, whether you resolve it yourself or, you know, investigate yourself or pass it on, you just can't, ignore it. And that's, uh, that, that would be the worst case scenario. Yeah. And I will tell you that I, co unfortunately, constantly have clients who come to me and say, Hey, you know, female so-and-so or male so-and-so just reported something. They said they didn't want it, anything done. They just wanted me to know so they could document yeah, that hold, it was happening. Hold this football, hold this stick of dynamite for me. <laughs> right. Let's, see what, let's see what happens. No, it's hold this stick of dynamite, right? That's exactly what it is. <laughs> 
<laughs> because, and just so everybody understands why Kurt and Chip and I are laughing is because what's going to happen is ultimately your department's getting sued. You're witness number one. And the first question is going to be, isn't it true that she came and told you she was being harassed? But, 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 but. <laughs> right. But she didn't want me to do anything yeah. about it. <laughs> like, come on. Sure. Yeah. That, that's, right. that's, that's never in writing, by the way. Right. <laughs> right. Right. That, that's not what you said. That, I, I told you when you did nothing about it. Right. right. So, so it, it's not going to go well. Um, you know, when I became a lieutenant, when I became a captain, when I ultimately became chief, I learned one very important real thing. You don't have friends in the fire service. All of those people you used to hang out with who are your best friends, they're gone. They're no longer your friends. Right. They're your and 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 we could get into a whole leadership discussion of whether you really have any friends. Do they like you? Do they like the position? Right. But you don't, you can't treat people like friends because you will make a bad decision because when something happens to them, they're not going to treat you like your friend. We promise you, right. We, we all probably know, right. When it comes down to, well, I told the chief, you're no longer my friend. I told the chief. Um, and yeah, but we were friends. Isn't going to work. Okay. So again, before we get to the investigation stage, Chip, somebody comes to you and says, I'm worried about John because John has been getting, you know, violent. He's been yelling at people. He's been going off. He's, he's just not acting like himself. And I'm a little worried about John. What do we do? IFSTA is dedicated to updating firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, apps, Curriculum, Resource One, and more. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training and education materials have made us a worldwide leader of the fire service. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. What's my rank? You're the chief. Well, you know, again, that misery loves company when you have to make hard decisions. So, you know, one of the things that I always think about, whether you're a chief or whether you've got lieutenant, it helps to occasionally roundtable stuff. Unless we're dealing with very confidential medical information, um, you know, as you've already suggested, you've had as a chief, you can make decisions. But we've also talked about this isn't a fire ground. You don't have to make a decision right this minute. So sometimes it may be consulting with your board chairperson. It may be consulting with the, with council maybe consulting with one of your deputy chiefs and trying to gather information. I think, you know, the idea in any investigation is within reason. And, and we've talked about that before and, and deferred to Kurt on, on, you know, the, the, you know, how much is enough in terms of the investigation, but you, you, you certainly, again, can't ignore it. And to me, you need to start being the fact gatherer uh, because we, you need to find out what is, what is going on. Do we have a, mental health issue, a medical issue, a conflict issue. Um, you, you have to act, uh, but you have to do it in a manner that's calculated. And let me give you one more. Somebody comes to you after a scene. You're the chief. You have an EMS issue. Uh, chief Comstock, we might have injured somebody. We dropped them. We don't really know if they're hurt. They seem to be pretty hurt, but they're already hurt. We don't know what happened. We dropped them. They, they said it's okay, no big deal, although the husband seemed kind of upset when we dropped his 87-year-old wife, hypothetically. Um, so uh, what, what should we do? Should we just, you know, do nothing, or what do we do? So this is a really interesting scenario. 
I hope so, because I don't want to bore anybody. It's, but it's what what happens when things go poorly and uh, you know or believe that your department or your employees made a mistake. And we tend to react that in one of two ways. There's, there's the uh, attorney, the, the old solid attorney is never say you're sorry, never admit a fault, right? <laughs> Do nothing, right? And then, then there's the, the PR crisis management, which I'm a big believer in crisis management because very few cases make it to court, but your department can have a reputation made worse in so many ways and people are looking for folks to step up and so if i know our guys made a mistake again i investigate it find out yeah they dropped the patient whether they miss i mean that's when me i'm going uh at at the highest levels to to meet with those people and to apologize and to say we screwed up and here's why and we won't we you know we're we're going to take care of whatever needs to get taken care of and and i think that goes a long way to mitigating all the negative things that that could come out of that type of situation. So again, uh, lawyers traditionally we say you'll know, never say you're sorry and, and blasphemy. Blasphemy, I say. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we have to we have to look at look at the situations and sometimes the best thing we can do and and this is true you know in any professional is is to to admit when you know you made a mistake. One comment with regard to any potential lawsuit, no matter how slight. As uh, we all know, many of your insurance policies have a 90-day notice requirement. Um, you must, within 90 days of having a reasonable belief that you've done something for which you get sued, you must notify your insurance company. Um, what about notifying your insurance company? Courtship, whoever, you know, should you be notifying your insurance company? Even if you haven't been sued, even if they haven't threatened to sue you, but you screwed up, do you notify them? I think I think you have to, yeah. It, it it's it's going to depend on what the level of damages are. I'm going to give you an example. You know, one of my I'm guys back, one, one one of the guys backed up over somebody's lawn. Right? They just put they just put a big rut in somebody's front yard. All right, we're, we're sorry, we made a mistake. The guy should have had a backer. We're fixing your lawn. I'm not notifying the insurance company. Right, right. I'm, I'm, you drop I'm, someone and break their femur. That's the case. Or, or, or they, or I mean, worse yet is we drop somebody because the cot is too high, mm -hmm. and they you know have a subdural hematoma because they hit their head and ends up you know dying. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, your second call after you know whoever the boss is better be to the to the insurance company. Yeah, don't don't, and I think the rule you know that we're trying to get across people is don't hide things from your insurance company. Because they will deny coverage. Well, um, what, you know, what a lot of policies say, which is this, the lawyer answer, which makes it worse. Because in your scenario, 90 days, you know when the t deadline is. What some of them say is within a reasonable period of time. Mm -hmm. Right? What's that? Right. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, and what, it, what they're going to look at is, did your failure to notify us prejudice our ability to defend this? Because we didn't get the information. We didn't, you, you know, witnesses went away. And, and that makes it even more uncertain. Right. Um, so again, it's the, the safest thing is the earlier, the better. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 outer shell fabric delivers a perfectly broken in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 outer shell fabric is made to move. 
To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. And from a practitioner's view, and some people may be very familiar with laws. So for example, in New York and many other states, you have to get a notice of claim or notice of intentions served upon you. And in New York, at least there's a 90 day time to do that. But you have a year and a half to go to the court and say, okay, I screwed up the 90 days. Will you, but I had a good reason. And my case is meritorious. Will you grant me permission to file suit anyway? And that happens a lot. Um, Courts, are sympathetic and have total, you know, uh, leeway to grant a year and a half extension. You may get away waiting 90 days for your insurance company, but a year and a half, you may very well not. So don't wait for the notice of claim or some notice of lawsuit is my suggestion. Ohio is worse because Ohio, you have a two year uh, period of limitations. So you don't notify your company. You don't get notice for two years out. What do you think their their position is going to be with your with being prejudiced, waiting two years, you know, on on the ability to investigate? So right. again, you know, they want to be able to gather as much information to assist in the defense of a claim as as they can. That means notifying them early. So, so Kurt, now you've got notice. We dropped somebody. We broke their femur. Who should investigate this? Do we just keep an internal? Um, and I'll be curious if this is an answer, because right after this, I'm going to ask you a sexual harassment claim. Who investigates? Mm-hmm. So with regard to a employee negligence claim, not employee on employee, but employee to the public, we did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Who should investigate that claim? Yeah, I, I think the department needs to have the internal capability of doing its own investigations. That's something that I, I believe firmly. I, I don't think... It's healthy to have non-firefighters investigating firefighters um, with limited exceptions. There may be certain situations, certainly an investigation of a fire chief. It's very hard for uh, a captain or a battalion chief to investigate the fire chief. So I, I understand that. But for the most part, I think the, the exception to the rule should be we go outside. It should be done inside. And then, we, then from there, we want to make sure that the people who are going to be doing the investigation are not somehow conflicted in that they're not they're not the victim. I mean, certainly we don't want the victim of nothing in the investigation. We don't want necessarily the complainant uh, doing it. Um, and we don't want someone who's got either a connection to the uh, accused or to the, um, the victim. Okay, so we want someone who's uh, independent. Uh, conducting the investigation. And that that also means there's a new skill set that we need for our officers who are going to be conducting these investigations. And maybe another skill set to a lesser extent to the people going to be supervising uh, the people who are going to be doing the investigation. But I think we want to develop that in-house capability. Certainly, like you mentioned, somebody uh, putting a, a rut in someone's front yard. Okay. Um, you know, you don't have to be a forensic um, criminal investigator to do that kind of an investigation. It's relatively simple, um, but there are certain things that we should do. And so there, there is a skill set there that, that goes along. And let me interrupt because we've had this discussion in another uh, podcast mm-hmm. and I agree with you conceptually. And we've talked about the reason for it that 
the fire service and law enforcement and other emergency services, sort of a unique community that has different things going on. You know, we're living, you know, in the same houses together, et cetera. But your, the, the, the potential disconnect, which you've acknowledged, is that we need to find ways to develop that skill set. We can't pick just anybody to go and do that investigation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people have, you know, a lot of uh, fire departments have part-time police officers or volunteer departments have full-time police officers who've been trained to do some investigation. There may not be law enforcement, but they understand the emergency services world. Um, but we have to, we, we need to be cognizant of the fact that we need to develop um, those folks who can do exactly what we're talking mm-hmm. about, because without it, I think we do run the disconnect. And the problem I, I have anyways is then who do we pick from the outside who has that skill set that could do the job, right? Because then we're just picking some citizen and, and they don't understand it either. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, Visit magnagrip.com. I've seen way too many cases of outsiders coming in and being told up front, this is what we want you to find. Oh, absolutely. And and, and that's a problem. I think unions may push back. Oh, you know, we don't want anybody from inside the organization doing the investigation. Thinking naively, I think, that somebody from the outside is going to be objective. They are not going to be objective. They know who's paying the bill. And the city says, we want Verone fired. You know, um, that's, that's the way it's going to come I down. I see that. I, that and, that's a, I, and I raise that a lot as, as have other attorneys in Ohio raised constitutional issues with, you know, due process. That, you know, there's basically, there, there's, this is not an objective investigation. The, the, the results have already been decided. You know, the other problem comes in and we've kind of talked about, we've talked about city departments, large departments, union departments, but we also do run into an issue um, where all this can arise with, you know, who's qualified and how do we get this in the small volunteer departments? I mean, harassment happens there, and, you know, half the people may be related to the other half. And, you know, that's, that's, I mean, seriously, you, got a department of, you have a department of 15 people and half are our family, and we now have a, a, an allegation of harassment. You know, A, you may not have people trained in it. You may have people who aren't objective or neutral. And, and again, that becomes a problem. And then so we're going to go to we, we know we can't just let it sit. We have to go to the outside. Mm-hmm. Smaller rural departments. Who do you go and get? I mean, we need we need to do something with it. I mean, we'd like to have somebody who's you know maybe trained in a larger city who can come in and understands that world. But <laughs> again, uh, the trustees are going to go and get that person. And this, again, you, you run into all sorts of issues. Yeah. Have they predetermined what that result's going to be when they go get that perfect investigator from outside the department? Well, this this isn't going to affect uh, the, the scenario you just said, where you do have that family connection in many volunteer fire departments. But I do know from the work I've done in Texas, many, many, uh, not the bigger departments, but many of the midsize and smaller departments, 
um, have a full-time arson investigator or fire investigator. And that person has those types of skills and they are the ones that are leveraged when it comes time to do an HR or disciplinary investigation. And they do, from what I understand, they do a good job because they're yeah. trained in how to do investigations. But In, intervie in interviews. And exactly, so forth, yeah. exactly. But there, there's other, you know, uh, I teach a program. There's other programs out there that can train people how to do those investigations. It's not rocket science. Right. It, it really isn't. Um, it, it's something that I think most people who advance to the ranks, certainly a captain and, and higher battalion chief, um, should have anyway. You know, they, they really should have developed these. We we don't. We tend not to. But it is a skill set that we should be developing. It's it's developed in frontline police officers and we're hiring from the same gene pool. So if they can, if police can be trained to do them. Certainly firefighters can be trained to do them. And, you know, and let's just mention briefly, uh, and then I'm going to make another point, uh, the purpose of the investigation. Mm -hmm. The purpose of the investigation is to determine facts, not guilt or innocence, right? Determine facts. What happened? I, right. I, right? I, I don't think you hire an investigator and say, did they sexually harass somebody? Right. That's a conclusion, right? right? It's, it's the facts that should be. And then somebody can look at the facts. And say, okay, based on those facts, here's what we decide. Right. Um, I, I think that's important. The, the other problem I have, and I want to warn people or advise them, you know, as, as somebody who often is on either side of an investigation where actions taken and they hold up, oh, I, we have an investigation report. This is why we took the action. I'm telling you, courts find those investigatory reports very credible. And many courts will not second guess the investigation if it appears it's neutral. The problem is what happens constantly is that it is the friend of the lawyer, right? But that doesn't come out in court. It's the friend of the lawyer who got hired. The lawyer who represents the fire district says, hey, Joe, will you, you know, conduct this investigation, wink, wink, right? And write a nice neutral report. And then I take it and say, ah, here. And I'm, I'm telling you, I've had it used against me and I've probably done it to others. Um, courts find those BS investigatory reports to be credible. And uh, it's unfortunate, but it really, it really is. And, you know, the investigator needs to be able to be put on the proverbial stand. What did you find? Who did you talk to? Did you ask these things? And that doesn't happen a lot in disciplinary hearings. It's just, well, here's what they found. Here's what we did. You're guilty. And even the defendants, you know, don't seem to take the reports to task. I just, I'm just kind of warning people just because you have a investigatory report doesn't mean it's credible, but the courts certainly see it that way. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. Yeah, one of the things I, I, I emphasize to the union uh, folks when I'm when I'm lecturing and also some of my clients is that they need to know the union representatives need to know what a good investigation looks like. Because if and they, let's talk about it. Tell if, us. Well, if they don't know what a good investigation looks like, then they're not going to be able to attack a bad investigation. 
Okay, and it's very important that they understand things like bias, um, things like writing a, a report or even asking questions that are conclusory and, and using conclusions in, in, in place of facts. Um, so there's some really simple concepts. Again, it's not it's not like calculus. It, it's, it's relatively common sense things, but you've got to be exposed to it. Okay, so it's like like what we do, stretching hose lines. It's it's not complicated, but you've got to be shown how to do it. Well, and of, it's the same thing. One of the things that I think is important though is to understand the general framework under which you work. Right. So is it a, is it a you you're doing you're going to have this investigation? Where does it go? Does it go through the collective bargaining agreement to a, a neutral arbitrator? What's that hearing look like? And what's the evidence going to be presented? Right. So in Ohio, if you if you're in collective bargaining. Uh, you know, that's basically going to control the, the disciplinary process and how that's going to go. If you're not, if you're a volunteer firefighter, part-time uh, career with, you know, in a township, fire district, et cetera, you're going to go through a hearing before a board of trustees, either a fire district, township, it could be council. And the interesting thing is- at I hope you're point, pouring something to drink. Yeah, I am. It's just water. Nothing, nothing serious. Or is it gin, vodka? I don't know. I was just going to say, why are you squeezing a lime into it? Um, <laughs> but the, at the end of the day, where I've done investigations, um, there's a hearing. So I don't have to, I don't have to testify. The witnesses have to testify. I'm going to put the witness on and they're going to relay the information that I've gathered. So I, I have to look at that. And again, it has some understanding is this, firsthand knowledge or is this hearsay, you know? And so that witness really is going to testify as to what they saw, did, what they heard. And and it's all out in the open, subject to cross-examination in all, all disciplinary hearings. So when you're gathering as an investigator, you're all, all, you have to have some understanding as, you know, this is how it's going to be presented. The rules, you know, how the rules of evidence are, are relaxed. It's not a formal court hearing, but, you know, you still can't, uh, or shouldn't be permitted to say, you know, my cousin heard from, you know, the grandmother. Right. You know, my, my favorite picture is from Kurt. I'm stealing this, but I, I used it in a trial that I'm in now. I just want to speak about it really quickly. Um, you know, Kurt, you've got this picture of a rabbit chasing the dog. And I, I don't know if everybody always understands it, but it, it's soliloquy for we're presuming guilt, right? I hope that's what it means. Uh, we're presuming guilt. So we're going to keep chasing guilt until we prove guilt. And the, what you really should do to that picture is put blinders, like horse blinders on the dog, because once we're focused on guilt, we're not focused on anything else. I have a case now where we'll have a decision at some point soon, um, but I'll be careful about it because we're still in the middle of it. But we have the, a, uh, it's a wrongful death case against two EMTs and the investigator, a uh, state, you know, who's got 10 years or whatever investigation experience, um, it's a question of, did they treat somebody? Did they abandon somebody? I'm being a little generic here for obvious reasons, but the, the investigator, you know, asked a bunch of questions and I said, did you ask what the person looked like? No. Well, did you ask what, how long his hair was? No. Did you ask how much he weighed? No. Well, what did the person who died look like? Well, I don't know. Well, the person we alleged to be abandoned, did it look the same as, as the person, you know, who died? Well, it's the same person. No, that's a conclusion. <laughs> what did you ask? And it's going to turn out 
hope the state's not watching this, but it's going to turn out it's not the same person. They don't look alike. But the investigator was so blinded by, oh, it's the same person. You abandoned that person and then he died. He's so blinded. He doesn't ask the obvious question. What did he look like? Who doesn't ask what somebody looks like? Right. So I I had a criminal case. I defended a person who was charged with a with a motor vehicle crime uh, by the state patrol officer. He took the statements of two people and didn't take a statement from any one of the five witnesses who actually saw what happened. Imagine that. And when we got when we got to trial, and he said, "Do I really need to testify?" I absolutely. You get to go. You know, and and you know, I prayed every other witness on who actually saw you know the event. So. I think you're right, but you know the other, the flip side of that is, and, and this is this becomes a tough spot. We've already talked about, uh, you know, uh, building biases. We're going to sign it to the investigator, that internal investigator who's best friends with somebody, and, no. and you know, the no. pursuit is just the opposite, right? Yeah. It's not that it's not that I'm going to I'm going to uh, look for the guilt. I'm going to do whatever I can to you know make up the excuses. And again, that's that trying to be objectively cognizant of of making sure that from all from the best we can do nothing's perfect the best we can do from anybody looking from the outside they're going to say this person did a thorough objective job mm-hmm. right that's what we're all looking for one you know it doesn't matter what side you're on you want somebody to be thorough and be as objective as possible when they're gathering the facts and that's what they're doing they're just gathering the facts you know i got a call last night from a client says we have pictures that somebody sent to somebody else. And so we're going to suspend them because they're sexually harassing them. I said, (laughs) did you talk to the person who's sending the pictures? Well, no, we have the pictures. We know they're sending them. They said, well, do you know if they were asked for, do you know that that's really the person's email? Do you, I, I said, there's no possibility they didn't send the pictures. There's no possibility. They weren't asked for requested. Want? I mean, there's no excuse. And well, well, I don't know. We we have them dead to right. Should we interview the accused? <laughs> yeah, interview the accused. You, so I, but I've made that mistake. <laughs> yeah. This happens all the time, but it's, we know they're it is, guilty. It is a lot easier to to come to a, a good conclusion in your investigation when you only hear from one side. <laughs> well, if you don't chase the rabbit, you don't want to look at all this other stuff. You just want to right. catch the damn rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> So I, but I, so that is such, these are such good points we're telling people, right? One, don't investigate yourself. It doesn't have to be out of the department, but don't have the friend investigate. Don't assume guilt. Don't assume innocence. Don't assume anything. The point of the investigation is to determine the facts, not guilt or innocence um, and avoid our personal biases. Okay. Now we've conducted an investigation. We have the results of the investigation. Let me let me add one thing. Okay. If you're conducting that investigation, you're internal and you have questions, it is okay to ask somebody else. And and there's a lot of times clients who do investigation, can we do this? Should we do this? I've had people send me their investigative work in draft form, and I've looked and said, Have you interviewed these three people? No. Go interview them. Right. So you can't ask. You can phone a friend. You can you know, ask the chief. You can ask somebody to look at it preliminarily and say, do you think it is thorough? Do you think I'm missing anything? Right. Right. Have somebody who's not you know, kind of focused, because the one thing that may prevent you from chasing the dog is having somebody say you need to you need you're missing something here. 
You've not interviewed some key witnesses, I think, as I read your report. And that way they don't end up with a finished product that is that is biased, unintentionally biased, maybe, or just not thorough. Uh, it's not the best product they can produce. So if you do that, and, and again, it's been reviewed, it's been looked at. Now, now we're in a position that you're talking about. We've got the report. And wouldn't you agree that before we start interviewing people, we should get a list of people to interview, right? We should start, right? Um, so we get a list, let's say, let me ask this, you know, fire departments are really good at keeping secrets. Never <laughs> gossip in the fire department, yeah, no, right? Never but any rumors either. That's yeah. never rumors, never, right? So there, there's obviously no secrets in the fire department, but should we be issuing gag orders to people or not? How do we control the the back end discussion while this investigation is taking place? Because it does skew the investigation. Yeah. How do we how do we silence that? You can't. <laughs> you can't and don't try. You. <laughs> you can't and don't try. Okay. Um, and and I, I say that from a, a great deal of experience in this area. It's it's not advisable to issue gag orders. It is advisable to get investigators out and interview the people as expeditiously as possible. You don't want to rush through it. But here's the thing. Um, I, I um, When you think about that, that dog chasing the rabbit, um, they... They're so focused on catching the rabbit um, that they would view anything that's going to interfere with catching the rabbit as bad. Uh, and the reality is that uh, employees, particularly in a collective bargaining environment, have a right to engage in concerted activities for their mutual protection. Does that sound like it might interfere with that? So in a collective bargaining environment, you can't tell people um, that they can't talk to each other about something, particularly either the victim or the accused. They have a right to talk to their union reps about it. They have a right to talk to their colleagues about it. <clears throat> so again, I think the, the, the solution, you're pointing out a really good problem, but the solution is more about the importance of expeditiously getting into uh, the stations or getting into your witness list uh, and getting through that as quickly as possible. Now, could there be certain situations where a gag order based on the specifics of a, of a particular investigation might warrant it? Yeah, uh, I would be reluctant to do that. Well, okay? Because, it, it, again, our, our purpose, our purpose is to find the truth. Okay? Right. It, and that's all. It's not to reach a predetermined conclusion either way. So, so we want to make sure that we respect everyone's rights throughout the process, because, you know, this is just one investigation among a hundred that we may end up having to do over our careers. And we don't want to compromise our integrity because of issuing those types of orders, because those are very, those are threatening types of things. And then you got to follow through on it and, and all that. So my perspective is we want to get in there, get the interviews done as expeditiously as possible and not be issuing gag orders. That's, that's my perspective. I'm going to add a, a little bit of a twist as, as I like to do. So the, I, I think a gag order, both from a collective bargaining standpoint and from a first amendment standpoint, depending on the nature of the, of the, uh, of the, the issue, mm -hmm. um, you know, it just may be unconstitutional, but mm -hmm. it's also a cultural issue. And I, I think people can be fairly reminded that at this department, we don't spread rumors. We don't cause disturbances. We do not, 
provide false information. Um, and if you provide false information, you spread baseless rumors about people, you can be subject to discipline. And that's all you need. You know, if, if people understand that, if that's an everyday culture, you know, if you try to promote a culture of respect and people understand that, you know, we don't need idle gossip. It doesn't matter whether there's an investigation or not. You know, treat other respect. Don't be, you know, bad mouthing people. Don't, you know, be doing all this stuff. What would so, we do during the day if we're not doing all of that? You know, keep, keep people busy, set more fires. So, uh, you know, that, that's the only, that's the only thing that, that, you know, from my perspective is I don't think you could say you can't talk about it, but I think people have to be cognizant is, is, is what they're asking or what they're doing um, legitimate or have a, a, a some functional need basis, whatever, as opposed to just our usual firehouse gossip. And and I think that when that firehouse gossip raises to a level that it creates additional problems with, you know, the, the, the operation of a department or the functioning of a department, you know, the, then you're going to have to do something about it at that point. I'd rather just remind people up front, you know, just don't be spreading crap. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and one big one, right, as you say that, Everybody, especially in a harassment, bullying, hazing, discrimination type complaint, do not retaliate, right? You tell every witness, the accused, the accuser, I don't care, you will not retaliate. That will not be, right, will not be acceptable. Right. Okay, so we've been going about, you know, 40-ish I, minutes. I want to add, Let me, I want add one thing here about the number. Wait a minute, you just added eight. one thing. Wait a minute. Yeah. There's another thing. <laughs> one more thing. <laughs> This is an issue that it came, that occurred to me, or it happened to me, and and you talk about lessons learned, and I, I would do things very differently. Um, this was, and I won't get into the, the details, but you occasionally get situations where there's an investigation, and now somebody's saying there's retaliation, or that person, you're investigating the accused, the accused is saying this is happening because that person, or the investigator, or somebody else is harassing me and you're targeting me. Uh, and this is just more of the harassment, right? So somebody originally says that person, that employee's harassing me. And now that employee saying they're harassing back. And, and it may or may not be the purpose of the initial accused to try to throw a monkey wrench into the investigation. Right. Um, and, and, and so like, okay, now what do we do? Cause now we have these kind of conflicting, investigations and my recommendation if that happens because i think it's 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 is assign a second investigator yeah right Reason. we already have investigator one doing this assign a separate investigator to to look back at those allegations do not try to have the same investigator the first one investigate all all the all the complaints it's just going to muddy all the waters yeah yeah good point. and I, I think people should know you know if you don't investigate pretty much you lose if there's a complaint and you don't investigate and it turns into a lawsuit and the answer was, what did you do? And well, I, I, we didn't do anything. We didn't believe it. Yeah, we didn't believe the right? complaint. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. I, yeah. You lose. Or look, you believe the complaint and you suspended somebody and you didn't investigate. Pretty much you lose. I mean, you or you should lose. But what happens when somebody comes to you with a complaint and you do hear the further retaliation? You investigate it because I, I got to say, if, if you watch like the, the video show, Kurt and I do um, every Monday at one um, <laughs> fire law blog. Um, but what always happens in these discrimination cases 
is you see, I made a complaint and all of a sudden I got denied benefits. I got denied a promotion. I got denied sick time. How do we take action other than against fake complaints, fake complaints to make sure chief, you're probably going to be accused again, or maybe you're going to be accused again, right? Um, we've investigated the first time we've figured out nothing or something happened, but now you're being accused a whole bunch more times. Is there any way to prevent that type of accusation? This is a hard question. I don't think we want to, I think we want to investigate. And then if it turns out what the term we use is unfounded, if the claims are unfounded, then that's documented. Okay. It does. Now it doesn't mean oh, you just it, use a good word documented. It, well, we're not going to throw it away. I guess that's, you know, a lot of people like to get rid of things once, you know, something happens and it, it's kind of in the past, but we're, we're going to keep it, keep it documented. Okay. It goes in our file. So now if the same person then files a second complaint, now we're not going after the person who filed the complaint, unless we can prove that it was false and they knew it was false. Short of that. We're going to do a, they, a couple of months later, they file a second complaint. We're going to do a diligent investigation. Now that's unfounded. Okay. So now that's two. Again, we're not going to discipline the employee because that could be their perception. They could be perceiving things. It's just that no one else is perceiving it that way. That's, that can happen. Okay. Right. We're not going to retaliate against the person. The third time, same thing. We investigate it and we're just going to be, what we're doing here is building a case for the accused that that particular employee has been harassing this particular person. We've investigated five, five complaints and they've all been unfounded. Okay. Right. And now at some point that person may have some recourse against the person who's filing those frivolous complaints. That's how you do it. You don't refuse to investigate the complaint. But documentation, you just made a good, right? And and I want to emphasize this because so often it's, hey, chief, this happened. Okay, I'll go talk to him. Mm -hmm. I talked to him. Hey, Brad, did you do this? No. Okay, well, if you did, don't. Are we good? We're good. Mm -hmm. Never a record of it. But that doesn't help you later on when the person comes to you and says, I made a bunch of complaints. What did you do? Well, I don't remember it. I don't know it. I didn't record it. I don't, re I think this is what I did, right? You've got to write all complaints, official, unofficial, doesn't matter. And your investigation or your discussion or your, you, you've got to create a log. And, and, you know, Kurt and I see when we read all these cases, Chip, of course, when we read these cases and you look at the who wins, who loses, the ones who have good written documentation more than not are more successful than the ones who I got nothing. I don't know. I don't remember. Right. I don't remember is not a good defense because I, and I will tell you from probably all our personal experiences, the person who's going after you or somebody writes everything down. They have notes. They write things. They probably recorded things. They got logs. Or on this day, I talked to you and you can't prove you did anything about it. So, I, just, I do want to add that sometimes I don't remember could be the best defense that person has. But, yeah. <laughs> I have no recollection Mr. of that. Isn't it true that when you stuck your hands on her? Yeah. That, I don't remember. Um, Okay, so let's jump to the end of this. And we're kind of, you know, at a good ending point. Let's jump to the end of this. You've investigated, you've disciplined, or you haven't disciplined. What do you do with the department to 
address culture issues because, and here's the reason I bring this up called Manel, right? Uh, which our listeners won't know. So Manel is a constitutional argument that says a government agency had a policy or practice likely unwritten of allowing a certain thing to happen. They knew it happened. They kept happening and they should be, dis- the municipality should be disciplined for allowing well, it to happen. A- absent. So they understand absent a, a practice policy, the government, entity is not liable for the acts of its employees. So when they they, they will make a Monell, a Monell claim um, against oh, government Monell. agent. I call Monell. it Monell. Yeah. Make a, claim, <laughs> uh, make a claim against a governmental agency based on a, a practice or policy. And that's written or unwritten. That's why it's important. Yep. And you have to break that chain if you're the, right? So if you don't write things down, if you don't document that you did something about it, you may be found to have a practice written or more likely unwritten practice and unwritten practices are going to be proven by, oh, here's five cases where you did this every time and you didn't do anything about it. So I think you as a chief or whoever need to be looking at what things happen that are wrong and then how have we addressed it to the, uh, and I'm going to talk about sexual harassment and dis- discrimination, et cetera, but how have we addressed it to the department? On the one hand, somebody will say, Kurt will certainly say, it is not your business to know what I did to this person who was accused. You don't have the right necessarily to know whether they were disciplined or not, right? The, the outcome isn't your business necessarily, but we've, on the other hand, we've got to say something to the department without this is true or not. We don't tolerate this type of conduct. It is okay to acknowledge a complaint's been made. We're not commenting on the outcome. It doesn't matter whether it's true or not. We will not tolerate this type of conduct and don't do it. Is that? Yeah. Let me, there's one more step. I thought you were going to go to this, this other step before we get to the ultimate thing, but there's a thing I, my term, and I think the, the proper term for the next step after the investigation is I think the right term is an adjudication, okay? And an adjudication is the person is guilty or not guilty. So there's, there's like two two sides to it, guilty or not guilty. And actually, the, the better term is the charges against the person, the disciplinary charges against the person is sustained or not sustained, okay? But I use guilty or not guilty, but I think we all know what guilty and not guilty means, okay? So Part number one is guilty or not guilty. So that is separate from the investigation. It's really important. I kind of draw a timeline out on this where we have the complaint, the investigation, and you don't go to the adjudication until the investigation is complete. And at the end of the investigation, then the chief, the fire chief usually is going to make a decision on charges. And then we have the adjudication. Okay. The adjudication can be based on the investigation, on the investigation report. It can also be based on a hearing, okay? Either way, we have to have an adjudication. Guilty or not guilty is number one. And then number two is what's the appropriate penalty, okay? So that's the order in which things should be done. I think very often fire chiefs get sloppy and they go complaint adjudication (laughs) without the investigation, And so we want to make sure that we do things in the right order. We have the adjudication after the investigation. Then there may be an appeal. There may be another de novo hearing that that happens downstream, civil service, arbitration, whatever it may be. Uh, And and then it goes on from there. Okay. So that kind of brings us up to your point now uh, is what do we do at this point? 
Okay, we've the firefighters gotten suspended for 48 hours or whatever it is. Okay, um, when I started in Providence, when someone was found guilty of violating the department's rules, a general order came out with that person's name on it and the rules and regulations. There wasn't a narrative about what they did, but it might say Lieutenant Verone was accused of violating um, Article 4, Chapter 3 of the rules and regulations. He, on such and such a date, he came before the chief and was found guilty. And as a result, he's going to be demoted. He's going to be transferred uh, and no overtime for six months or whatever the penalty may be. That came out as a general order. Um, the next thing that happened was um, our HR folks apparently went to a seminar or whatever. They went, you know, we got new HR people and they said, you can't do that. Um, that's embarrassing to the employee. And, uh, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't be doing that. So we push back against that. And what the, the solution, I'm not totally happy with it, but the solution was that they didn't want any acknowledgement of discipline. I think that's what you're getting at. They didn't want to acknowledge it. Um, and their, their, their thinking was that discipline is between the employer employee and no one else should know about it. That was, that was the HR thinking. The problem is if the firefighter or an officer did something in front of others, everybody else saw him do something and they don't see any consequences for it. And they get the wrong idea that it's going to be permissible. <laughs> so the other, the other issue is, is in, in Ohio. Halfway through, Chip, halfway okay. through. So, sure. so, um, so what we ended up doing was they'd issue a general order. Uh, but it, it, it would just say a lieutenant came before the chief of department was accused of this, and this was the person's penalty. So everyone would pretty much figure out who it was. But then there would be some sort of tacit acknowledgement that the organization has taken steps. So a number of departments out there that have listened to their HR people on this issue. And we've seen situations where... Uh, even along racial lines, we've had allegations that uh, certain races are not being not being disciplined. We've had sexual harassment cases uh, with a female uh, female employee. That's roughly eighty three percent of the cases. Uh, but the female employee is alleging that the males did something. They reported it. The department did an investigation, and they weren't disciplined. When in fact, they were disciplined. Okay, and it comes out during the lawsuit. Well, you don't want to have to get to a lawsuit to find that out. So I really think um, HR, I love HR, but I think there's certain principles that they have that are deeply embedded in, in HR training and culture that are counterproductive in the fire service. Um, and, and this is one of them. So um, personally, I don't have a problem. When somebody gets disciplined, uh, their name and their, their punishment should be um, coming out on a job. That's me. That's, that's how I think it, it's appropriate. That's blasphemy for HR people, but, um, you know, that's, that's how I think it should be done. I'm sorry, Chip, Chip go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say that one of the other issues is, is, is the investigation is the conclusion is the hearing testimony or the witness statements, public records. I can answer it's, all that. It's state law. Well, you can answer it in New York. It's it's a state law issue. Exactly. Well, that's exactly, except as it relates to the federal right uh, proceedings. But yeah, so it, it is all based on state law. Look, 
New York up till to the year uh, 2020 kept, kept all firefighter and police officer disciplinary records exempt from disclosure. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, re- eliminated the civil service, uh, civil rights law and said, it's all public now. And the problem is that has, it's a great discussion for another radio show, but the problem that has, as our courts have recognized is, wait a minute, when you are contemplating settling, you know, taking a one week suspension and you're, let's say you're a cop, you're taking a one week suspension to avoid termination. You did so under some privacy thought you weren't thinking there was going to be disclosed. So, um, all this disclosure is a much bigger issue, of course. (laughs) So, um, great topic for next time though, about confidentiality of records, et cetera. But you know, it gets back to the point to me is in, in Ohio, it's all public. There may be certain parts that are redacted, but at the end of the day, you know, it, 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 I can release information that's, it's already public record. So, you know, if we had an issue and this was the outcome, um, it is what it is. Um, and anybody could access it who wants to access it. So there are some that are that are distributed more widely than others. Um, and, and certainly getting to your point, though, after the adjudication, after the punishment is decided, the if we determine that there is a problem within the department or we are trying to eliminate future problems, we need to take action. And that's making sure we have policies, making sure that they're distributed and making sure that they're enforced. And that's part of an educational process as well. You know, and that is so important, bigger departments, because in little departments, you're in one station, you pretty much hear all the gossip, you know, everything. In multiple departments, especially as you get up in rank, you don't hear it, right? You have multiple stations, especially big department in LA and New York or whatever. You don't know what's going on. So you have to make a system-wide statement that this will not happen. You have to educate your inferiors, so to speak, your battalion chiefs, your station chiefs, your station captains, that you must pass this message on. We're not doing this. They may have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I didn't know somebody, you know, in the Upper East Side was disciplined for something. I'm down here in the Bronx. Um, I never heard it, right? So who knows? But you've got to make it clear as a system, we are not going to allow this type of procedure or, or uh, conduct, et cetera, and just remind people. Look, every every um, time somebody does something wrong is a good time to train people not to do it. Every time someone's accused of doing something wrong is a good time to remind people not to do it, uh, if, if it's wrong, right? If there's something that was done wrong um, and whether it's wrong or not, hey, you know, somebody was accused of harassing somebody. Guys, I just want to make clear we don't harass, bully, haze, etc. It's a good time to do a reminder. Okay. That said, I want to wrap this up. Last final one second comments. We're going to start with Kurt. Ah. <laughs> That's a comment. Fire, fire departments need to have the ability to conduct investigations, uh, not just line of duty, not just line of duty deaths, not just line of duty deaths, but line of duty uh, injuries, uh, apparatus accidents, safety issues, but also disciplinary issues as well. We don't need outsiders coming in and uh, doing investigations about things that they have no clue about. And Kurt, what, where possibly could they get that training? Uh, well, I, I do offer that that kind of training. So, but this is I not an not advertisement. I'm just just saying that's. 
Yeah. The, the, the look, the, the the lawyers, right? You know, we're here to guide, but in, in truth, we this is what we do, and we do offer that type of training. No different than any other podcast says, "Hey, we offer elevator training," or I'm making that up, but whatever. But mm-hmm. um, so you know, there are, there are people who do this. Okay, um, Chip, last comments. Uh, two things. The uh, first is that uh, again, I, we can't ignore. If you ignore issues, uh, bad things are going to happen, and we we know that uh, personnel. Uh, accusations or, you know, personnel based issues are the most difficult to deal with. And so we have to, you know, as Kurt already suggested, we have to become good at dealing with those and and need to take the time to make sure we do them right. The second and and probably just as equally important point is that Brad's uh, uh, child attended Penn State University, as did mine, but I don't want anybody to believe that my participation in this podcast in any way suggest that I am uh, uh, acknowledging Penn State as worn by uh, uh, Brad Pinsky. Uh, well, we're not acknowledging the Ohio State O-O-O-H-I-O, either. So. O-H-I-O, and, and I'm happy, speaking of children, to announce that uh, uh, Ambassador Verone's uh, offspring is now uh, affiliated with the Ohio State University. So, welcome yeah. to the uh, welcome to the fold. Yeah. We we've lost all our viewers now. <laughs> if there are any viewers from the University of Michigan, stop watching. We don't care. Yeah, no. that is true. That is that's how, in <laughs> fact we don't even use that word here in Ohio. Blasphemy. Okay, everyone, on behalf of Kirk Verone, Chip Comstock, and the missing John Murphy, who I'm told is dipping his sand in our toes in sand somewhere in a foreign country, uh, hopefully not um, Palestine. Um, the, that, uh, I wish you the best. We'll see you soon. And remember, if you get sued, don't call us. <laughs> Thank you, guys. IFSTA is dedicated to updating firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, apps, curriculum, resource one, and more. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training and education materials have made us a worldwide leader of the fire service. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit TenkataFabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by enforced technology. Only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.